the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and Social Sciences, the hashtag hashtag podcast. This is Marco Cimino, and in this episode, I'm joined by Caitlin Lamore, who is going to be talking about society and culture and the personal interest project or PIP process. In this episode, I'm joined by Caitlin Lamore. Caitlin, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, so, Caitlin, we're going to be talking about uh, society and culture and um, the PIP process uh, today. So, this is more of a stage six thing. Um mm-hmm. Before we start, can you give uh, the listeners a bit of a rundown or a bit of a um, a bit of a, a brief uh, outline of who you are? Sure. Um, so obviously, I'm Caitlin Lamore. Um, I've been teaching for ten years now. I am a trained dance and history teacher. Um, I've never taught dance in high schools. Uh, instead, I've taught history, geography, society, and culture. Uh, and a little bit of uh, religious education as well when I was working in a Catholic school. Um, yeah. Oh, currently I'm working as an ICT integrator. So I do a lot of e-learning, digital integration with staff and students, looking at how we can um, use technology authentically and effectively to maximise engagement, student outcomes, all of that sort of stuff. Okay, and you mentioned you're, you're, you're dance trained as well. Um, how, how do you how did you do history and dance? That, well, that's a bit of an odd mix, isn't it? It's so odd. Um, I always wanted to be a dance teacher, so I danced, you know, pretty much my whole life. Um, towards the end of high school, I spoke to the dance teacher at school. Um, she recommended the dance education course at UNSW. Um, which I got into um, when I was choosing my second. So it was a, a double major. When I was choosing my second major, usually people do drama, but I always hated drama. Um, it's just not my thing. Um, and history was an option. I always loved history. It was one of my favorite subjects at school. I did quite well at it. Um, so that was the obvious choice for me. Um, and it turns out I'm really glad that I picked history because it is almost impossible to get a job in high schools as a dance teacher. Um, so I got a job pretty much straight away after a couple of temp blocks at one of the schools um, in their history department um, and haven't looked back. So what, why is it so hard to get a, a – I know, I know we're sort of getting off track here, but why is it so hard to get a teacher a, a, a job as a dance teacher in schools? Is it just not run or is it just so many of them already or – so, I mean, not a lot, not all schools run it. Um, and when they do, they usually only need one or two teachers. Um, and once a dance teacher gets into a good school where they're happy and they've built up a good program, they don't seem to ever leave. Um, so the best that you're looking at, or at least when I graduated, was a maternity leave block. Um, fortunately, yeah, like I love teaching history and now I sometimes forget that I'm actually also qualified to teach dance um, because I've never taught it in schools um, since I did my last prac at university. Um, But, yeah, there's just not a lot of jobs. Okay. Um, So, look, your your history, so you're very, very, very um, uh, integrated into the HISI department. Uh, Society and culture is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, So, because this is a very, uh, very specialised, very sort of niche stage six course as well, um, can you give people listening if they've never heard of society and culture before? What actually? What's what's the what's the crux of that subject? Oh, so personally, society and culture is probably my favourite thing to teach. 
Um, I haven't taught it for a couple of years because my current school doesn't actually offer it. Um, but it's a course that looks at, I mean, like the name suggests, societies and cultures um, around the world with the focus of developing in students uh, a social and cultural awareness um, an understanding of who they are, the society and the culture that they sort of exist in, um, but also understanding and appreciating the the societies and cultures of other people. Um, So it looks at the interaction between what the course calls fundamental concepts, so things like uh, persons, societies, cultures, time and the environment, and then looking at things like gender, power, authority, um, and a whole range of other sort of conceptual things and how they interact within different societies and different cultures. Um, yeah. So it's kind of kind of like an art, almost like a mini arts degree you do at university. Yeah, and that's the best way to describe it. Um, I've not come across a course like Society and Culture where really I think we're asking 16 and 17-year-olds to engage in university-level thinking. Um, and I think some of the concepts that they look at and some of the work that they produce over the course of the two years, particularly with the personal interest project or the PIP, is something that like a lot of people will probably go through their entire university career without having to engage in these sort of issues or produce something um, sort of so intellectual Um so I'm always really proud of the kids who make it to the end um, and they're always really proud of themselves because it is a very challenging course in that respect. Okay. Um, so, look, as I said, it's quite challenging. Uh, can you offer any of the listeners um, who I'm assuming would be teaching society and culture um, what actually, you know, can you give, can you give them um, like any, any tips or any uh, strategies they can walk into the classroom, you know, tomorrow with uh, and sort of have an amazing lesson with them? Um, So the syllabus is actually like your best friend. Um, The syllabus has so much detail. I think for the first sort of two weeks of year 11, um, I didn't need to use anything other than the syllabus um, with the kids because there is so much in there in terms of looking at all of the concepts that are like integral and the foundations of the course, as well as, you know, key definitions, things like the research project, sorry, the research research process which sort of underpins the entire course um and so yeah the syllabus really is your best friend and you can quite easily get at least two weeks worth of good learning um and understanding from the kids just with that uh alone okay now look i'm assuming this unit's uh this subject sorry is broken up into sort of core units and um and uh and and electives uh or options uh, i'm i'm assuming yep Okay, um, so in terms of now the the, PIP, the the personal interest project, in what at what point do the students start to undertake their research? Is this its own unit, or is this sort of integrated from the start of the course where you start doing, um, you know, sort of the prelim stuff? How how does that whole process work? I mean, so they build up the skills throughout the prelim prelim course in terms of you know learning the research process um, and having a go at designing their own primary research methods you know, questionnaires, conducting interviews, focus groups, that sort of thing. Um, And also, you know, how to do good secondary research and engaging with journal articles and that sort of stuff. Um, But the actual PIP process itself doesn't start until the HSC course. Um, And then it starts pretty much straight away um, because it is so big. Uh, And then it's just sort of, you know, they work on it consistently, hopefully, 
um, over the course of the first three terms of the HSE course because it's usually due um, around the time that trials start in term three. So about week three, term three is when it's due. So they work on it from, yeah, start of term four all the way through to, yeah, the beginning of term three. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, you did mention that uh, to me once that um, PIP's not exactly your favourite thing. Why, <laughs> why is that? It's a lot of work for the kids um, and for the teacher. Like, you know, these are 17-year-olds. They've never done anything like this. Essentially, they're putting together, I mean, at its most basic, it's 5,500 words, but then you add the annotated resource list on top of that and then it can very easily blow out to 7,000, 8,000 words, which for a high school student is quite substantial. Mm. Um, and if they're not working on it consistently and then obviously as a teacher, if you're not sort of on their back about it consistently, um, it just gets, it runs away with them um, and you find yourself at the end of term two with, you know, a hysterical child. Um so it is a lot of work and it requires a lot of support for the kids from the teacher to sort of get them through the process. Um, but once they get to the end of the process, the kids are so proud of themselves. I've not gone through uh, any sort of process in schools before where kids have finished with such a sense of achievement um, because they know how hard it was and they like at the start, they cannot fathom being able to create what they finish with. Um, but it's a long process along the way because of that. Uh, okay, now you, you keep using the word it process, it's a process. What exactly is the process though? How does this all start and what, how does it all culminate? How does it work? So I always started like from the very beginning of the HSE course. So we would spend probably the first two weeks of the HSE course just doing PIP work. And so that would be looking at past PIPs. Um, I'd give them, you know, a guide that went through all of the sort of sections that they needed to include and the steps they would need to take through that. Um, and then we'd just spend lots of time investigating different topics that they might be interested in and trying to come up with something that they is appropriate, first of all, because obviously there are a lot of things that they're interested in that are inappropriate and part of the course is about ethical research um, and then finding something that they are going to be able to write 5,500 words on. So that would be sort of the first two weeks of the HSE course. Um, then I would usually spend at least one lesson a fortnight with them where they were working on their PIPs. Um, and so for that first term or term four, um, they would be uh, designing a proposal, first of all, based on their preliminary research. Um, I'd be meeting with them quite regularly to try and narrow down or tweak their topics so that by the end of the term, um, they've got a solid idea of what they're going to investigate. And then over those Christmas uh, holidays, their job would be to put together a draft introduction, which is 500 words, um, and they'd also be doing their secondary research or the start of their secondary research and starting to draft their primary research, which would involve them, you know, thinking about if they want to conduct interviews, who they would interview, what they would ask, if they want to distribute a questionnaire, um, you know, starting to think about the types of questions that they would need to ask and who they would want to distribute those questionnaires to. 
um, so that hopefully you'd come back at the start of the year in term one and the kids would be able to give you a draft introduction and they'd be able to show you that they'd done some secondary research. They knew sort of what direction their project was going and they also had an idea about what their primary research would look like. Um, And from that point on, I would have regular deadlines and checks for the kids so that, you know, by sort of week six of term one, um, they would have had to do their primary research. So they should be able to show me that they've conducted their interviews, that they've got their questionnaire results and they're starting to analyse those results. So that by the uh, end of term one, start of term two, they'd have their first chapter, a draft of their first chapter written for me. Um, Then in term two, partway through term two, chapter two draft would be due. Um, And then by the end of term two, their third chapter draft would be due, which meant that through those uh, term two sort of winter holidays, they'd be working on things like their conclusion, um, their annotated resource list and their log, which just sort of summarizes the process that they've been through. Um, So that at the start of term three, then just before their trials, I'd be able to go through, have a final check. They'd be able to make any final edits that needed to be made um, for submission uh, in usually around week three of term three. Um, So they would be sort of the major checkpoints that I would put in or deadlines that I would have in place for my kids. Um, And in between that, it's a constant back and forth of editing, giving feedback, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, my biggest tip is that something like Google Docs is an absolute lifesaver um, because the kids can share the Google Doc with you. And then when they send me an email saying, I miss some more, can you please check my chapter one? I can go in and check their chapter one while they're still working on chapter two or applying some of the feedback that I've already left on chapter one rather than them having to wait for me to edit a Word document, send it back or anything like that, um, because it is, yeah, this constant back and forth process because we do need to provide them with a fair bit of support throughout it. Yeah. Well, wow, you, when you said this was a long process, um, I was getting I was getting tired and anxious just listening to you go through it, let alone actually going through it myself. It can be anxiety inducing. Oh wow. Um, what, what are some of the um, what are some of the, the 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 topics that the kids you know look at sometimes? Have you have you um, come across any that just sort of stand out to you and say, this is amazing. This is like a, this, this can lead to a PhD if they wanted to. Um, oh, look, there's been, I mean, it depends on the kids because obviously you want them. The best pips are the ones that the kids can really relate to because part of the process is that they should be integrating a personal reflection throughout their pip. Um, so it should be something that they personally are connected to and that they can speak about and reflect on how that's been in their own lives. Um, Probably my best pip um, over the years was I had a Vietnamese student who looked at um, how her family and other Vietnamese families had sort of adapted their culture once they'd come to Australia. And she looked at how that had changed from when her grandparents arrived to, you know, when her parents were born and now for her as sort of a second or third generation um, immigrant, how that impacted the culture that they practised at home, Um, comparing that with uh, other people. She also compared it with uh, Lebanese immigrants as well. Um, And because, you know, as a Vietnamese student, 
she was so connected to that. Um, her pip was just so full of gold, really. Um, and so for me, that was the standout because it was something that she was so personally invested in and had experienced. And so she could talk about it and reflect on how it impacted her life whilst also looking at then, you know, comparing and contrasting how it impacted other Vietnamese immigrants or children of immigrants and then also children of, of Lebanese immigrants as well. Um, yeah. Okay. That, um, it, it, on, on the flip side of that, is there anything that sort of is off limits? Like is, is anything that the students actually can't write about, whether it's an unspoken rule that they can't write about or is there any direction from Nessa that says kids can't talk about X, Y, Z topic or any directives from any of the systems at all? Yeah, so a big part of the course when you're looking at research is that um, research should always be ethical. And so when we're talking about, you know, 16, 17, maybe 18-year-olds, school kids, um, and looking at what is actually appropriate for them to investigate. So, you know, things like drug use, um, off-limits, alcohol abuse, off-limits. Anything that might put the student in a vulnerable situation if they need to be talking to somebody about something that, you know, we would deem inappropriate for a 17-year-old is off limits. Um, In saying that, there are usually, you know, easy ways where you can redirect a student's interest um, most of the time. Sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes they just need to find something else um, because, yeah, a big part of, you know, this social and cultural literacy that you're trying to instill in the kids throughout the course is that their research should always be ethical and safe. Um, okay, so yeah. that's more of a school school directive and your direct, that's nothing that comes from Nessa saying the kids can't do X, Y, Z, correct? Nice from, from Nessa is that it has to be ethical. Um, okay, and, and, then, and then the school can sort of determine what does ethics, what is ethical yeah. then. Okay, yeah. all right. Um in terms of in terms of um, this process when they finish up, what happens uh, if anyone's not familiar with with the PIP process or they've you know this is the first time teaching it? Um, what ends up happening with it? You send it off to uh, the markers, and then what happens? Yeah, so we send it off to the markers. Um, they mark it. Um, it makes up forty percent of their HSC mark. So then their HSC exam makes up the other sixty percent, and so then they get a you know cumulative. Uh, mark based on the 40% PIP mark and the 60% exam mark. Um, so they don't yeah. do any other assessments during the HSCE other than oh, the PIP? Absolutely. So because the PIP is a major project, so it doesn't count as part of the assessment. So they would still do their school-based assessments as part Oh, okay, of right, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, so that, that, that's a lot of work t- to be taken on by some students. And some of these kids might be doing, you know, extension subjects or subjects with other major works as well. It's amazing. Yeah, and so, yeah also teaching them because they're always kids they're either doing you know extension history or they've got music and so they've got major works for all of those subjects or drama whatever it is um so a big part of supporting them is helping them to manage their time um and all of those major works that they have to work on um because that's really hard for teenagers yeah Um, yeah and so oh, look, it's hard. It's hard for adults to keep on top of everything they need to do, let alone let alone teenagers. Exactly, and so that's where the yeah the deadlines are super helpful. Um, and so I always start the HSE course by giving them just a, a word document that shows the 
the timeline and when their deadlines are or their checkpoints are uh, when they have to submit drafts to me um, so that they know from the very beginning when things are. And I also try and plot where their assessment tasks are on there just so they know sort of, you know, what else might be happening around that time because it can get a little bit um, hectic for them. Yeah. Look, um, we're coming up to the end here. Before we finish off, is there any final words you want to uh, leave any of the, any, any teachers or even any students who might be listening to this about society and culture and the PIP? Um, I think, like, like I've already said, deadlines and checkpoints are your best friend. Um, Google Docs or some sort of, you know, collaborative document that you can have with each student is also an absolute lifesaver. Um, trying to make sure that from the very beginning the kids have a really clear topic um, that reflects the concepts of the course because it is a conceptual subject and so it's really important that those concepts are in their PIP. Um, and then, yeah, just being prepared to support very stressed teenagers um, through the process. Um, and whilst it is a lot of work and whilst you're in the thick of it, it can seem like you just want to pull your hair out and throw the towel in. Um, at the end of the process, the kids are so proud and you're so proud of what they've actually been able to achieve uh, because it is really quite impressive. Well, uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for giving up your time uh, to talk about society and culture and the PIP uh, for the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au